BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. Today's question is, how can I cope with my own fertility issues or support a loved one going through it? Before we jump in, I'd love a minute of your time and ask for a favor. It will only take you a few seconds, but it means the world to me. Would you please share this podcast with someone that you think will like it or leave a review on Spotify or Apple? It would mean so much to the podcast and I'd be so grateful. So thank you so much. Let's jump in. Today's amazing guest is Anna Christie. Anna is 32 years old from Australia, but lives in Amsterdam and is married to a duchy. Anna is founder and host of the podcast Bumps Along the Way, available wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome, Anna. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, My very first question to every expert always is, how are your 30s going so far? Very good question. I think my 30s have been a combination of really amazing and gratifying and life-changing, but also quite challenging and testing and unsteady and have had some huge highs like getting married and buying our first house and getting a little dog, but have also had some really epic lows um, like burnout, mental health struggles and fertility struggles. So I'm balancing the good with the tough for the last couple of years, I would say. Yeah, it's, that sounds like a lot of uh, highs and lows. You've kind of become an expert on fertility unwillingly over the past couple of years because you and your husband are struggling to conceive um, and having a baby. Will you share a little bit about your journey about trying to have a baby? Yeah, for sure. So basically about two years ago in the summer, we decided that we would start trying. And I don't think then we were taking it really seriously We were just, yeah, I was trying to map everything to do with my cycle. So I started learning a lot about my cycle as well. Um, And then we got engaged. So I decided I didn't want to be pregnant at my wedding um, and we paused. And I think what happened is that delayed us probably from around October through till July. And then foolishly, we just assumed, okay, after our wedding, we'll get pregnant. And neither of us saw these kind of, 
yeah, challenges or struggles coming. And basically this time last year we got married. So that's now a year ago. And for the first six months, nothing happened. We're trying naturally, um, logging my cycle in apps, trying to work out when I'm ovulating, all those sorts of things. And um, I started getting just a little bit, I started asking questions like, huh, I thought this would be a bit easier. You know, everything you learn at school is, you know, how easy it is and how must we, how much we must avoid it. So uh, yeah, that was a bit of a minefield in itself. A lot to learn in terms of like the two week wait and all these sorts of things. Um, we did fall pregnant in January of this year, but unfortunately we very quickly miscarried and now another half year has passed without any success. So I guess that's a high level summary of the journey so far. How, what does that do to someone mentally for to you and your partner? Yeah, it it's really, really tough, to be honest. I think what happens is we spend our whole 20s trying to avoid getting pregnant. And then when we're ready and we want it, we really want it now. And I sort of received the analogy recently of the loop of hope and heartbreak. And what that means is you have for two weeks of your cycle a lot of hope because you go from trying to waiting to find out if it's worked and then you fall into this sort of mini grief of of heartbreak when it doesn't. And what that does month over month over month is it it gets kind of worse, it gets harder, it gets heavier. And that mini grief that you experience it becomes very impactful and you have such a short time frame to get through it. Within the next week, you have to start trying again. So I guess it does take a lot of strain on your mental health and it can take a lot of toll on your relationship as well because I've found my partner and I can tend to go through relatively different experiences with it. Can you explain what that cycle looks like in more detail? Because I know absolutely nothing about even this is now that you're talking about the whole cycle, I've been on a marina um, for 12 years. So I've actually never, or since 12 years, haven't actually had a period. So I don't actually understand completely what that looks like in a monthly cycle. Can you explain that? Yeah, for sure. Very important to to note here that I'm no expert, like I'm not a doctor or anything, <laughs> but in terms of just the cycle in general, um, day zero is technically the first day of your period, right? And most women's period lasts between four and seven days. So that's when you're menstruating, you have blood loss and yeah, that's really like your menstrual phase. You then go into the phase where Different, your hormones are changing, your estrogen's rising, and your body's preparing you for ovulation. And everyone's cycle is different, but let's say that's maybe another week. When you ovulate, that's the moment where the sperm and the egg have to meet, and that's usually the time where you fall pregnant. But you have a two-week waiting period where basically, yeah, your luteinizing hormone needs to rise to a level where you can test to see if it's positive or not. And that's what they call the two-week wait. And those are the longest two weeks of your life because you're literally <laughs> counting down the days to know, <laughs> did this work or not? Um, yeah, so basically this four-week cycle carries with it a lot of changes in hormones, a lot of fluctuations in your mood and emotions as well. Oh, it's got to be so tough. Where are you in your journey now? Yeah, so 
It's been a bit of a tricky one. Obviously, um, I live here in the Netherlands and what typically happens, and I don't know if this is just a Dutch thing or if this happens all over the world, but you need to not successfully conceive for a year before you'll be able to get any investigations done. And of course, something about being in your 30s, you you can't help but feel a bit like a sort of ticking time clock. And that's not to say it's doom and gloom in your 30s, but it does play on your mind a lot. So you don't want someone in January to tell you, come back in a year. So my husband and I, we went to Belgium. A lot of people from Holland will go to Belgium because they have shorter wait lists. They'll investigate to uh, quite a bit more depth and detail and they have a really high success rate. So we're doing our investigations and tests and procedures in Belgium and just uncovered that we do have both a couple of things that we need to have done and, yeah, and improve. And these are things that you can improve. Yeah, so basically for me, something that I didn't know anything about um, is that you can actually have what's called an abnormal shaped uterus. And that makes falling pregnant a lot harder and it makes the chance of recurrent miscarriage a bit higher. So what they're going to do is they're going to operate on me and they're going to basically alter the shape of my uterus and they're hopeful that that means I'll be able to conceive. So that is giving me a lot of hope and it's very exciting, but of course it carries a bit of apprehension because it's surgery and it requires some hormone treatment in advance and that's something that I'm a little bit apprehensive about as well. It's pretty amazing what people can do though nowadays, that they know that this is a thing and that they can actually operate on that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I do think it's good to spread awareness about something like this because since I've started talking about it more, I have had more women in my life come to me and say, you know, I have this and I found out about this when I was young, but they they told me not to do anything about it. So I find that quite interesting when you then look at the stats, it does have a big impact on falling pregnant naturally. So I'm not sure why they don't kind of fix it as soon as they find it, to be honest. Again, not a medical expert, but it is something that I'm curious about. Especially if, say, they find this out when you're 16 and that you're like, obviously, or like you probably aren't trying for a baby then. If they fix it, then you're not going to be stuck in that cycle of a year that you have to try. Exactly. It would eliminate so much um, heartbreak and anguish. And when you're in it and you don't have the answers, you feel like you're flailing around in the dark and it's extremely frustrating and it feels very lonely and scary because you just don't know why this is not working. Your friends are falling pregnant quickly. It's easy. It's happening, seems to be happening for everyone else. And you're sort of stuck in it with no answers. And yeah, if you could eliminate that burden and that emotional toll on people, then I'd be a huge advocate for that. And now that you know that there is something that can be worked on with an operation, and even of course, what you're saying as well, there are risks. So there is a little, you're a little bit apprehensive there. But um, what did that do with you mentally? Initial reaction was relief, actually, because we're not flailing around in the dark anymore. So getting a diagnosis, both for me and my husband as well, 
male fertility, of course, being 50% of this whole conversation, it was a lot of relief mentally. However, it do, it does mean we're delayed until trying until the end of the year. So it has also, we were also both a bit disappointed because we lose, you know, another four, five, six months. In the grand scheme of life, we know this is not life-changing timelines, but with this particular situation that has been going on for quite a while, it was a bit of a, we were kind of hoping they'd say, come in for surgery next week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, a few months really feels now like an eternity away. So I guess we're just trying to process the fact that it's good news, it's something fixable and just be patient. There's nothing we can do. So yeah, we just have to trust the process. And they would rather you not try until that um, surgery in case there's another miscarriage? What's the reasoning for them to not be like, you keep trying in the background? Yeah, the reason they say don't keep trying in the background is because of this abnormality with my uterus. It would make miscarrying again more likely and that would set us back even further. Okay, that makes sense. You started a podcast to talk to other people that are going through something similar. How has that been, finding people that are going through a similar situation? That's been a really wonderful project, to be honest. A lot of people were a little bit concerned about it when I first floated the idea because when you're in the thick of it, it's not an obviously not an easy thing to go through. But what I found was connecting with other women who were going through a similar experience has made me feel a lot less lonely and connecting with these specialists that I interview from Chinese medicine to dietitians to midwives to mental health practitioners, it's given me a lot of information so I feel a lot less confused. And it's been, yeah, really remarkable actually how many women, well, I should say couples, are going through fertility struggles, I think it's as common as one in six. So building that community and feeling less isolated and less alone, it's been a really good thing to have done. One in six is so many. A thing yeah. I wonder, and maybe this is something you've figured out uh, in your interviews, is it is infertility something that is more common now or are we talking about it more? Oh, good question. I feel like from what I've learned, fertility around the world is declining. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. But I also feel like the taboo is starting to break. And that's a really, really good thing to the point where people are even communicating about it in the office and with their employers, which is something that must be a very, very new thing. And I do think the more we can break the stigma, the better, because for the first year and a half of that journey, I kept it to myself. I didn't talk to anyone about it, not my siblings, my mom, my friends. So that feeling of isolation and like you're the only one going through it, something that I didn't need to carry at all. So yeah, is it getting more common or are we talking about it more? I think it's probably both. Would you recommend um, couples that are struggling with this opening up to their loved ones? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody's relationship with their family is different, but loved ones also includes trusted friends and 
finding your people is so important because like I said, it builds that connection. It builds that understanding and you're not going through it alone. You know, we're not built to go through these things alone. This is also a very biological thing that we're doing. And our, you know, a lady said to me on the podcast the other day, our ancestors would never have let a woman or a couple go through this alone. The tribe would have come behind them and helped them, you know? So yeah, that really resonated with me. What are some amazing things that you learned from the podcast and interviewing people? You've spoken to a bunch of people at this point, and even me looking into um, some stats for this episode. One thing I learned a couple years ago is that a woman is born or baby girl is born with all her eggs. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. There's no, there's not, no eggs being added to the pool throughout her life, which is the most bizarre thing to realize that a tiny tiny baby has all her eggs in her ovaries that she'll just ever have and so the pool of waiting follicles is gradually used up over the course of a female's life which i just find that mind-boggling um and at birth there are about one million follicles by puberty that number has dropped to about three hundred thousand and of those follicles remaining at puberty, only about 300 will ovulate during the reproductive years. That is crazy. From the millions that, that you had at birth. Yeah. Do you know what's so crazy about that is when you think about it, now I need to think how I can explain this. When your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, your mother had the eggs that would become you inside of her already so you were all you know what I mean like we when we're pregnant we're also carrying our grandchildren basically yeah (laughs) yes yeah and even like I have a newborn baby niece she's a couple months old and even just thinking about this super innocent little tiny creature carrying all of this inside of her is mind-boggling yeah I know. It's amazing. Biggest things that I've learned, gosh, there's so much. I mean, there's like from the medical side, but then there's also from the kind of stories side. I think the the biggest thing I've learned is that so much of this relies on timing and timing can be really difficult because especially if we don't know our cycles. And I think the other thing that I learned as well, the biggest thing that I've learned is just normalizing how common this is. So 
if you're under 35, um, there's something like, I don't know what the percentage is, but it can take between six to 12 months of trying. That's actually the average. So anything, I think in the first year, 80% will fall pregnant and uh, second year, 90%. So I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's, it's okay if it takes time. It's probably going to take time. And the people that fall pregnant very quickly and easily are technically in the minority. And that's something that took me a long time to wrap my head around because it's just not the messaging that we're used to seeing on social media and in the movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also read each month that uh, a healthy 30-year-old woman will try to have a baby. There's a 20% chance of getting pregnant. And by 40 years old, it's less than 5% per cycle. The number drops yeah. so crazily over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. Even from your 30s to 35, it goes from, I think, one in five to one in eight. So that's what I mean when I say you do you can't help but think about the clock ticking, unfortunately. And that, again, layers into why every month it doesn't work. It just feels like, oh, my God, I'm a, yeah. It's just so outside your control, unfortunately. It completely is. Because, yeah, to your point earlier, the male um, also has 50% share in this. And it's just all got to line up. Yeah, exactly. And you can't control that. I also learned something. You can ovulate on different days of the month. So you can ovulate as early as, say you have a 28-day cycle, you don't necessarily ovulate right in the middle on day 14. It could be as early as day 10, it could be as late as day 20. So how do we ever really know if we're getting the timing right? Yeah, how do you know? Because you have the ovulating sticks, right? Yeah. But then what? How? I don't even know how that works. <laughs> Oh my God, it took me a few months to work out how they work. So basically it's a test that measures for a luteinizing hormone, which is basically something that rises as we're coming into ovulation. And what you do is you pee on it like a pregnancy test, but you need to try and work out about four or five days before you're ovulating, you should start peeing on them. So the reason I have a love-hate relationship with them is because you could be peeing on these sticks for a week and then you could be waiting for a few days and then you could be peeing on pregnancy tests for a week and you just feel yeah. like you're really constantly focused on these sticks and it becomes quite micromanaged and quite, you know, over-regulated in a way. Um, but look, they are a great resource, especially for people that want to try and understand where in their cycle they are. It does give you an indication of ovulation, but I have learned that they can also be quite inaccurate. So you have to, I don't know, take everything with a bit of a grain of salt. What about um, IVF and freezing eggs? Do you know anything about what that would mean for you guys? Is that an option or is that it won't matter? Yeah. So... After my surgery, it has, I think, a very high success rate that we should fall pregnant in the next four to five months after that. My understanding is if that doesn't happen, we then look at options like IVF. It's certainly an option. It's something that I would prefer 
um, to, yeah, obviously I think you would prefer to fall pregnant naturally. Um, IVF being, from my understanding, very intense, lots of injections, quite a lot of financial strain as well. So we're still hopeful that after this surgery we'll have some success. Um, Freezing eggs is something I only started thinking about recently because this has taken so long. You, you can also have what's called secondary infertility. You know, just because you have one baby, it doesn't mean it's going to work straight away for your next. And I've started thinking about if we're looking for the second child or the third child, should I freeze some eggs? And is it better to do now while I'm 31 than in a few years' time? So I haven't really looked into it. I do understand it's not an insurance policy, still very much a lottery ticket, but it can provide, I guess, some peace of mind. Very hopeful to hear that it should be about four to five months, though, to fall pregnant naturally. Should. Yeah, we hope. Let's see. <laughs> we spoke earlier about um, you You mentioned that people should be talking about this more openly and share with a loved one the process and just like everything they're going through emotionally. If you have someone in your life that opens up about this, how can you support someone best? Great question. I think this is really important to get right because this is a really emotional and quite triggering topic for people who are in the thick of it. My advice would actually be to be very careful of giving advice. I don't think advice is what people want to hear when they're in this situation. They just want to feel heard and they just want to feel understood. So saying things like, I'm so sorry, how are you feeling? How are you processing what can we do to help you feel better is way more impactful than saying, you know what, maybe just relax. Cause if you relax, you you might get pregnant. <laughs> and it's not, it's not cause people are trying to be, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I think often if you've not been through a situation, it can be very hard to give the right advice. Therefore just showing empathy and understanding and being available, I would say is a better approach. And what about um, like monthly check-ins? Is that too much? No, I think that's lovely. Like you really recognize the people that are there for you who even just check in and say, how are you today? Or where are you guys at now? Or, you know, another example is it can be, of course, a little bit challenging when your friends around you start falling pregnant as well. And there's a big difference in how that news gets shared. The ones that really show empathy and give you a bit of time to process it, you really are so grateful for that versus the ones that don't. So there's a whole, um, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like a whole, what is the word I'm looking for? Like a spectrum of things that require, yeah, there's kind of a whole spectrum of, situations where it can be just very important to show a bit of empathy for that person. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. What if you fall pregnant and you know that your friend has been struggling with infertility for a long time? How do you announce it? Yeah, I think personally, the best way is probably a text message or a phone call. The reason why is it just gives the person on the other end a bit of a minute to kind of catch themselves and let their face do what it needs to do because 
it's important to understand that you're so happy for your friend. You would not want anybody to go through this. So there's no hard feelings in place. What it does is it just brings up quite a lot of grief for yourself and it brings up a lot of those emotions of, oh gosh, why not me? And why am I still in this? And, you know, we can't help but kind of get flooded with our own situation. So sending a text, hey, just a heads up, you know, we've fallen pregnant and we'd love to see you soon, but take your time. Perfect, in my opinion. Okay, that's a really good tip as well. Um, I would love to touch on your podcast for a little bit longer. What are some some big things you've learned that s- someone who's listening and is going through fertility issues or is maybe even thinking about starting to try to have a baby Um, what are some good things you learned? Well, I think if you're thinking about trying for a baby, this is actually a great podcast to listen to because it provides you with a lot of information from a lot of different sources of sort of healthcare providers that touch on like traditional Western medicine, but also alternative therapies and how they can kind of, yeah, boost fertility and, yeah, tip the odds in your favor, I guess. Um, If you're struggling with it, I think the same thing. A lot of important information. I share a lot of resources like books, other podcasts, news articles, things like that. Um, And I also share a lot of stories, really inspiring stories of mostly women who have come through their own kind of exceptionally challenging circumstance. And often they end with a happy ending. Almost always they end with a happy ending. And therefore you just know, yeah, as dark as it seems, there's still hope. There's still a lot that we can do and a lot that we can learn. And yeah, I think it's just a great resource for anyone that wants more information and to feel less lonely with it. And um, for someone Go, going through this hardship with their partner, what would be a really good tip on how to make sure that you don't lose each other, you keep sight of each other, each other's feelings? Because I often also feel like, I saw a TikTok about this recently as well, about the partner also really struggling with the disappointment every month, with a crying person that's obviously very upset, They're, uh, the per- person that's trying to fall pregnant, being super upset and there's maybe potentially often more room for the person trying to fall pregnant and their emotions and not really for the male because he's just got to pick you off the floor quite literally every month. How can we, or how can the the males that listen deal with this best? And how can you make sure that as the partner, you create space for both of you? Yeah, that is something that we, I have to be honest, did kind of go through a roller coaster with because a lot of the emphasis does fall on the woman. You know, we're the ones that have the physical symptoms of the loss. And I think we get emotionally far more invested in those two weeks of you really honing in on every little, do I feel a little crab? Do I feel a little bit of nausea? I don't know. You're looking for all these signs and signals. And I I feel like sometimes it looks like your partner has just forgotten. They've done their job and they've just forgotten, but important to realize they haven't. They're still waiting in those two weeks to know if this has worked or not. So I think a really nice thing that the men can do, put a calendar reminder in every month 
around the time where you're probably going to be testing so that you can show your partner like, hey, it feels like we might be coming into the time where we can take a test. Do you want to do it together? And then your partner doesn't feel like she's counting down the days alone. Um, I think it's very important to find other ways to connect that do not involve trying to conceive. So go on date night, go on walks together and don't talk about it. Like just try and find ways to get out of the situation because it can become quite all all consuming, especially if you both have full-time jobs and then you come home at night. You just need moments where it's just the two of you. Mm. And, yeah, I think as well, yeah, really important to keep communicating and just asking each other how you feel. But to be honest, this is something that I think we're still working on. Um, It's really, really not easy. And I don't know if we've nailed it, to be honest. But yeah, trying to just stay open with each other, keep communicating and don't bottle anything up because then as we know, that can always rear its head in ugly ways. My final question every episode is, if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be? Uh, Just like understand that going through fertility challenges is really, really hard. And all of the emotions that come up throughout this are valid. So it's so important to be kind to yourself and not judge yourself for whatever you're feeling like sit with your emotions, find that inner circle that you can share with and do whatever it takes to help yourself feel better. I really mean that, like depending on what resources are available to you, um, go and do the things that make you feel good, especially if you reach the end of that loop of hope and heartbreak and it's another month that's failed. Go and do all the things that you can't do when you're pregnant. Go and get wine, go in the sauna, eat the soft cheese, like do whatever you need to do to just, yeah, give yourself a bit of processing time because it is a very short cycle where you need to get ready and go again. That's a really good takeaway. I love that one. Do you have any books or resources, podcasts that you can recommend to the listeners if they want to get into this more? Yes, definitely. Like the question that you asked me earlier about our cycle, I would recommend a book called Period Power by Macy Hill. It's amazing. It likens your cycle to the four seasons. So winter, spring, summer, and autumn. And what's happening with the hormonal fluctuations in your body during those four seasons. And that book probably changed my life. Um, Mm. For anybody that might still be on hormonal birth control, a really amazing book called The Period Repair Manual by Lara Bryden. Also very helpful in terms of like breaking up with the pill, flushing hormones out of your body, how to regulate your cycle and things like that. Um, Dietary-wise, I really enjoyed Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols. Really great book, changed a lot of my perception around things like meat and coffee and things like that. Um, And then, yeah, just some very nice, I love a self-help book. So (laughs) all the self-help books. (laughs) All of them. Do you have a favorite? The one I just read is called The Mountain Is You. And have you read that book? It's on my e-reader. I should really read it. Yeah, I really loved this. The reason why is because... Yeah, it made me very aware of my own self-sabotaging habits and 
when you're in a cycle of like the hope and the heartbreak, it can be really easy to kind of self-sabotage throughout that cycle. And reading this book made me realize that, yeah, you need to prioritize your own needs and you need to do whatever you need to do to feel better. And I think that's where that came from. So don't be your own mountain. Don't get in your own way. Like you can actually make things easier for yourself. I'll put all the books on the website, 30andabit.com. But thank you for being so honest. And you'll keep making new podcast episodes, right? On Bumps Along the Way? Correct. Yes, lots of episodes lined up. So yeah, very excited to kind of put those out into the world. Very scary, as I'm sure you know, but yeah, very excited as well. It is super scary because you just have to be open during these episodes. Like I always... I always share what my experience is with the subject that we're talking about, which is really scary. But at the same time, it's giving us this incredible excuse to talk to all these people that are experts in their field and know so much. And you can just fire off any question that makes me feel so lucky. So whenever I'm vulnerable in an episode, that's what I try to remember. So true. That's such a good point. You're right. You connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't. And that's, yeah, that's a really, really powerful thing. Yeah, which is amazing. So anywhere you're listening to this podcast, you can also find bumps along the way. And thanks again for being so vulnerable and fingers crossed um, for the next couple months. No, my pleasure. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.